0: This music, these flowers, and our attendance in this place today are in memory of the long and beautiful life of Raymond Rick Nesbitt. May God bless and strengthen those who mourn his passing. I look around and see family, I see friends, I see church members. I see some people that I see every week and others I haven't seen in a long time. And I feel better because you're here. And I know the family feels the same way. I see a quite a large delegation from Maine, Victory Baptist Church and the, a church that dad pastored for 15 years and other friends and I'm so happy that you folks could be with us. It's been a tough six weeks. Dad first got sick about six weeks ago. And uh, for about a week, he was really sick. And then found out he had Lyme. And then uh, he had the stroke. And ever since that moment, our lives have been turned upside down to, to love him and take care of him and very happy to do so. And boy, it was a roller coaster ride. With wondering if he was going to make it, and then him uh, getting better, and even recognizing us, and, and talking, and different things, and then uh, the second stroke, and the fall, and after that, he wasn't responsive anymore. But they were precious moments, those last days that, that we had with Dad, sitting with him. And, but it's been a, a long road. And I know that I speak for the family when I say, we feel better, we feel comforted because you're here. And thank you for coming. In just a little bit, we're going to open up just for a brief time to see if anyone here would like to give a testimony or a remembrance of Dad. And I know we've got some preachers here and and some family and such, and some of you would be scared to death to speak publicly and others of you, you would talk for far too long. And so uh, we're going to try to do it decently in an order and let everybody have an opportunity uh, as, as time allows. But we really appreciate you being here. I want to take a moment and read uh, the obituary of Dad. Mom and Jenny did a great job on this, and it includes part of his testimony. Raymond C. Rick Nesbitt, 75, of Wakefield passed away Wednesday, August 3rd, 2022, due to the complications of multiple strokes. He was the loving husband of Connie Shove Nesbitt for 52 years. Born in Utica, New York, he was the son of Francis Nesbitt and Edith Brown Nesbitt. One of 17 children, Rick had many stories to share of the hardships of his family endured that shaped him into the man he became. As a young married man, Rick's life was forever changed when a Baptist pastor knocked on the door of his home one evening and invited him to church. Pastor Tom Asbury shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with Rick, and he trusted Christ as his personal Savior. Rick joined the church. He was able to lead many extended family members and friends to not only come to church but to also trust Christ as their own personal Savior. Because Rick asked Jesus to forgive his sins and give him a home in heaven, his family and friends have the blessed assurance that they will be reunited with Rick in heaven one day. Rick felt the call of God on his life to preach the gospel. He moved his family to Sherrillville, Indiana, so he could prepare for the ministry at Hiles Anderson College. This was a special time in Rick's life and he made many lifelong friends. Rick had several jobs in his life, but the occupation that brought him the most joy and fulfillment was the 15 years he spent pastoring Victory Baptist Church in Winthrop, Maine. He moved his family to Maine after his college graduation in 1987 and pastored there until 2002. Rick spent the remaining years near family in the beautiful state of Rhode Island. Rick will be remembered for the many lives he helped and touched throughout his lifetime. He will also be fondly remembered for his love of the USA Today newspaper, Canada Dry Ginger Ale, and the Andy Griffith Show. His children will miss the countless dozens of, his grandchildren will miss the countless dozens of donuts Grandpa would buy when they visited him and the legendary amounts of ice cream he helped them to consume. Besides his wife, Raymond is survived by his children, Jennifer Walter, Robert Nesbitt, his wife Angela, uh, Sarah Chapman, her husband Paul. He also leaves behind 13 grandchildren, Ricky Walter, his wife Kaylee, Ryan Walter, Rachel Berry, uh, her husband Jacob, Jack Walter, Jonathan Walter, Joshua Walter, Caleb Nesbitt, Mark Nesbitt, John Nesbitt. Rebecca Nesbit, Paul Chapman the Fourth, Stacey Chapman, and Caitlin Chapman. Rick also has three great-grandchildren, Ricky, Judah, and Sarah. Raymond is predeceased by his son, Raymond A. Ricky Nesbit, and his son-in-law, Richard, Rick, Walter. We have talked about how mom's jealous that Dad is with their son who went to heaven many years ago just as a young boy. I'd like to take a moment and read Psalm 23. Countless lives have been comforted by Psalm 23 throughout the years. I want you to think about these words and really just let them soak into your heart and let them help you. Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want And we believe that that's where Rick is today. We don't sorrow for him. His body lays before us, but this was just the house that his eternal soul inhabited while he was here. Uh, Rick is with his Lord in heaven. No more pain, no more sorrow, no more suffering. And we are glad about that. I thought about these verses in the last days as we sat with him in the hospital. And my dear wife is youngest daughter sarah is not able to be with us today most of you know she's afflicted with very serious and aggressive mix of autoimmune diseases and it's just unthinkable that she wouldn't be able to be here but by the grace of god she was able to go to the hospital And it it really was just a blessing. Every day for five weeks, she prayed that she'd be able to see her dad. She was so afraid that he would pass away before she got to see him again. And um, the Lord just worked it out were the final days in the hospital. She was able to go up there and even stay the night with him. And as he would struggle at times through the night, she would grab his hand and she'd say, It's okay, Dad. It's okay. We're here and i thought about these verses and they brought much comfort as we were able to be with him she was also able to see him the night he passed not too long after he passed so we're grateful for that but if you'd pray for her as well we'd appreciate it we know many of you do i think about dad when he after the first stroke uh, we were in the rehab center and he had just began to talk again and uh, The obituary mentioned ginger ale, and uh, boy, he was focused on ginger ale. He wasn't talking about much, but uh, hey, Dad, you need anything? Ginger ale? Like, no, Dad, you can't have ginger ale. Ginger ale? (laughs) No, no, Dad, you can't have. And I don't know how many times a day he was wearing Mom out. Can I have a ginger ale? You know. Then it turned. First, it was ginger ale. Then it turned into sentences. Can I have a ginger ale? No. Why can't I have a ginger ale? No. Nope. And uh, he sure did love ginger ale in the USA Today newspaper. Uh, sometimes he'd be out of town and I would get the newspaper and read it and fold it back up. But he could always tell that his newspaper had been read. And uh, we have a lot of wonderful memories with Dad. We're glad you're here. We want to say before we pray, we just want to remind you that as we are sad, we, we don't sorrow as those that have no hope. So if we laugh a little bit today, that's a good thing. If we are reminded of some good memories, that's a blessing. And if we cry, that's okay, too, because we're all going through a gamut of emotions. But this is not a sad event only. It's a celebration of Dad's life. And so we're going to pray, and then we're going to sing some Christian hymns that Dad loved And I want you to really sing. I mean, sing it like it's a revival service. That's what he would want it to be. We're going to sing about heaven. We're going to sing about the wonder of God. We're going to have some testimonies. And let's pray that we can comfort one another and that the Lord would be honored through our time here today. Let's pray. Father, we come to you now in in need of your grace, and thank you that your grace is so sufficient. No matter how deep the valley, how heavy the burden, your grace is always more than enough. And I pray for more of that. You've been very generous with us as a family. I pray for more of that. And I pray in the mighty name of Jesus that everyone here today would be comforted by the sweet Holy Ghost that you would reach into the places where humans cannot go and you would minister to hearts and give us strength and grace and peace and even joy. And as we're reminded very clearly today of the frailty of life and eternity that follows, may we give you great praise for your son who died on the cross to make eternal life a possibility. And may we make sure that our own destination settled. May we rejoice that Dad's already there. And may we leave this place with a renewed desire to tell others about Christ in heaven. So we pray that you would work in our hearts, help us to honor you with every word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well we want you to grab a hymnal. And let's turn to number six eighty five. Number six hundred eighty five. I've got a mansion. We'll sing the first and the last. number six eight five.
1: sing it out. Dad's in heaven. I'm satisfied with just a cottage below, a little silver Don't think me poor, old.
0: Amen. Good singing. I think Dad liked that. Number fifty-one. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Boy, if you're not if you're here this afternoon and you're not sure you're saved, you don't know what this song's talking about. We've said many times as a family. I don't know how people go through this without Christ, without the knowledge of heaven, without the comfort of God. And you can be saved today if you're here today or watching online. Many are watching online that. Wanted to be here today, but couldn't be. Boy, Christ is ready to save. Salvation is available. Today's the day of salvation. Amen. And we can have that blessed assurance. That first and the last, number
1: 5-1. <laughs> blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. my song, praising my Savior all the day long. On that last perfect submission, all is at rest. I in my Savior am happy and blessed, watching and waiting, looking above, filled with His goodness lost in his love. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior.
0: Amen. Those songs are a comfort, aren't they? At this time, we're going to have one of the young men with the microphone come down, and we're just going to have you uh, where you're at. If you have uh, a remembrance, a story, we'll have uh, the family come up in just a moment and do theirs up here. So Jenny and Rob will, at the end of of this, will come up and and speak for a few moments at the uh, pulpit. But if you're here, we're not going to take a long time to do this but i know every one of you are here because you knew rick you had some connection with him and uh, i'm sure that you have some stories dad was a colorful man and uh, he loved to laugh he loved to joke around he was very serious about things he had strong opinions and uh, it was he's just a wonderful man to be around and we just want to uh, take a A few minutes here and see if anyone has a a testimony, a remembrance. We ask you a few things. Number one, keep it fairly short. Number two, make it honoring to the Lord. All right, who'd like to go first? got the microphone over here. Anybody on this side? Brother Pash, please. If you could stand while you do that.
2: The first time I saw Brother Rick, I was in High Street down here in uh, Wakefield, and I saw Brother Rick knocking on doors, and I, I thought, what's going on here? And, but he was, he was out soul winning mm-hmm. when I first came here. That's what he was doing. He was knocking on doors trying to introduce people to Christ. That was a blessing to me.
0: Amen. When Dad first came, uh, he did what he did for many years as a pastor. He grabbed his clipboard, and he said, Paul, if you don't mind, I'm not going to go soul winning at the normal time. He said, I want to go during the week. And he would just go soul winning by himself. Like he had done. Thank you for sharing. I hadn't thought about that, and thank you for that. Who else has a testimony, Brother Ken, right here?
2: This is brief. Brother uh, Rick was a florid man. He was a jokester. He loved to. He loved to, He loved to smile. The picture of him on the front of the boat, and thats the way I remember him. Mm-hmm. He was always smiling. And I remember. That one of the little children, one of the children of the church, used to come up and shake him, and pretend to squeeze his hand, and put a record, pretend to it hurt. Oh, <laughs> well, well. Yeah. of course it didn't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but he pretended just. <laughs> and, and the other thing I remember about him is when he, we uh, ushered together for a few years, and when he was passing out papers, he would always be saying to people. Can you read? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Can you read? Right. <laughs> Even the people he knew he read. <laughs> yeah. He was a uh, good man and was going to be sorry missed by this church.
0: Amen. Thank you, Brother Ken. We appreciate that. Who else has a testimony you'd like to share? Right over here, Brother Don.
3: <clears throat> I did a painting and Rick liked it. He saw it. And I knew he wanted it, and it was difficult for me to give it away because paintings are your children. And I did give it to him, and often I asked him if he liked it, and he said, I do not like it, I love it. Mm -hmm. And that made it easy for me to give it away.
0: Amen. I've been trying to get a painting from Don for years. And... uh Yeah. That's what you say, but when it comes down to it, you don't want to give away your children. And, uh, but mom said, hey, Paul, do you want dad's picture that Don made him? I'm like, yes, I've been trying to get one for years. And So thank you. Don and Lynette have been a wonderful friends to mom, calling every day. Yep, she's a, we know, she's a, she's a good lady. But uh, calling every day, just been wonderful, and so many of you have. All right, who else? testimonies. All right, let's come over to the other side. Let's do Brother Chris. This is Pastor Chris Lard, who pastors a church in Winthrop now. Pastor Nesbitt was my first pastor, and uh, uh, we started going to church there. And we were just moved into the area. My mom was from the Winthrop area growing up, and my dad said, we're going to go to Victory, and she said, don't go there. They're crazy, <laughs> and uh, it's, it's true, and uh, one thing I'd like to say is uh, I don't remember a lot of the sermons that he preached. Mm. I remember a lot of the stories he told, mm-hmm. but they're not Christ honoring, so <laughs> yes. I don't think I'll share them. But, uh, but one thing that I learned from Pastor and Mrs. Nesbitt was not necessarily the sermons he preached behind the pulpit, but how they lived every day of their life. And it was the first time I mm. realized that you can be a Christian 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and I thank God for their influence on, on my family and the church there in Winthrop. Amen. Well, Dad sure did love you, and I know that Uh, dad and mom have been so thrilled with victory over the years first with rick pastoring and jenny being there and of course when he went to be with the lord that was so devastating for all of us and for the church but we're so pleased that you're there and you haven't blown it yet so that's (laughs) that's amazing now we appreciate you honoring the lord and doing a good job i know that dad took great
3: comfort in that all right who else all right brother bushy so glad to see you sir my family started attending Pellmar Bible Church when I was 12 years old, and uh, one of my first Sunday school teachers was a giant named Brother Rick, and uh, Brother Rick took time to teach us as young men. Uh, I remember distinctly learning the 66 books of the Bible in order, and he gave us a plan. He said, learn five a week, and in three months you'll know the whole book of, uh, whole, all the books of the Bible in order. And uh, many times in a Bible drill, I've, I've found the verse first and thanked Brother Rick uh, for <laughs> teaching us how to do that. And then, of course, many years later, learning them all again in a different language, I mm. used that same system that he had given us when I was 12. When I got ready to go to Bible college, uh, he had gone a year or two before me, and he called me and he said, uh, Brother Mark, when you get here you're already on Route 103, and so if anybody asks, (laughs) tell them you've already got a bus route. And so I got there the week before, and I was on the bus route the weekend before I started college on Route 103 with Brad Boroff and Ed Russ and Doug Cole and Miss Patty Mm -hmm. and a lot of people that are still in the ministry today. And uh, I remember remember watching Brother Rick love people, and Mm -hmm. uh, I haven't seen him, I think, once in the last 30 years briefly. Mm -hmm. But he influenced my life as a young man, and I'm grateful for that. I wanted to honor him for that.
0: Wow. What a wonderful testimony. Great. Anybody else? Testimony or remembrance? Yes, sir.
4: I um, got saved in in, uh, March of 1987. And uh, shortly thereafter, I bought a piece of property up in Maine. And, and attended Victory Baptist Church and met Pastor Nesbitt and uh, he was uh, right from the start we were good good buddies mm-hmm. and uh, it was very um, encouraging and certainly I looked to him as a, as a young Christian I looked to him mm-hmm. as, a, uh, as someone that could um, help me and uh, help me to grow in Christ and to uh, be a friend and of course my wife and I both uh, befriended the Nesbits and over the 15 years that they were there at, at Victory, we um, were uh, there in the summers uh, when mm-hmm. we were on vacation, and, and uh, really enjoyed their fellowship and the, the company, and, and it was a great uh, influence on my life as a, as a young Christian, help, mm-hmm. helping me to grow. Amen. Of course, uh, the stories he told me, he told me about the, um, the 17 uh, mm-hmm. children and how his dad bought a hearse uh, <laughs> right. to fit the family in. Yeah, uh, That was the family vehicle That was the family vehicle I appreciate it And uh, and all the stories and his his fellowship
0: Amen, thank you for that We appreciate that Anybody else? Don't want to miss anybody Thank you for taking the time And being a part of that uh, Wonderful stories We're going to have uh, Jenny come up And talk about her dad And then when she's done We'll have Rob come
5: Thank you all for coming today. We were just so honored and so glad for Mom today. So, women, um, it was sweet to hear some of your stories, and some of your stories spread on other stories in my mind. and our times together as a family this week, there's just been so many precious memories to share, and as we've gone through some of his things and looked at pictures and read little notes and things that he left. And it's amazing with all the stories that have come to mind, I still keep coming back to one key memory and think I'm so grateful um, for one particular moment in my life that um, all the others wouldn't have happened without it. The Bible says in Psalms, the lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. And I'm so blessed to have a goodly heritage. And I've so many times been very vocal in my life and sharing with others the importance of a man named Tom Asbury in our life, which is the man that knocked on our door, starting a church in Palmyra, Maine. I mean Palmyra, New York. Sorry, I've lived a lot of places. Palmyra, New York, and um, the fact that he was out soul winning and he was trying to get people to Christ, and I'm so grateful for that. But none of that would have mattered if my dad hadn't been willing to one listen to the gospel as an adult married man, and to humbly accept his need of Christ. And then not only that, but realize the need to ground his family in church and get us to church. And church became the whole center of our world. Now, Christ was really the center of our world, but as a young person, I didn't quite understand that yet. I just knew everything evolved in church in our lives. I remember um, the church first was in a the pastor's house but then eventually we got a piece of property in a building and we had to be at the church before the pastor and I don't know whether we got there five minutes before the pastor or 30 minutes before the pastor but as a child I felt like we got there hours before and I remember sitting in the church parking lot looking out at the gravel counting the bricks on the side of the building or whatever waiting for the pastor to come and we kids would ask dad why are we here so early It was a small country church we didn't have to fight for seats or anything and he said well the pastor might need something when we get here and we need to be here and we would be the first ones there and often the last to leave and all of his children have gone on to serve the Lord and I don't think it's you know just a coincidence and we all have just been so blessed to always be in church now I realize church isn't really the foundation or the center of my life it's Christ But as a young person, I'm so grateful for Tom Asbury knocking on the door. But I'm very grateful that my dad listened, heeded, and followed God's call and all the blessings that are on our lives now today because of that decision. Thank you for coming.
6: Thank you for coming. I wanted to, first of all, just thank Pastor Chapman for his graciousness, he's been just wonderful uh, in the last few days and in the last few weeks. I want to thank him for that publicly. Um, I didn't, you do some thinking, you know, when you go through something like this, uh, for obvious reasons. And about a three, four, five days ago, I had one thought that just kind of hit me. Uh, just really just kind of out of the blue. And the thought was this, that um, this man at one point in time, was a giant. Um, uh, Brother Bushy, you just mentioned that a few minutes ago. You used the word giant, and I thought that was kind of coincidental. Uh, My dad was, at a certain moment in time, he was bigger than life. Uh, The the term that everybody keeps using is colorful. And uh, dad was a very colorful guy. And and again, he was, for me, he was a giant. Um, I wanted to... Um, oh, uh, maybe, just maybe, the uh, the legend was born on a day when our U-Haul truck was stolen. We had the largest one with Grandma's attic. You've all seen him before. And it was taken from us, and we had nothing. And he did not flinch. Most other people would have turned and, and tucked tail and run and as a boy, I watched him not flinch and keep moving forward. And again, maybe, maybe that's where uh, the legend uh, sort of was birthed because, that's, because of such an un, unusual uh, situation like that. I knew dad's heart. I know my dad's heart. And um, um, somebody said years and years ago, I think it's an old west saying, that you're not supposed to cha- uh, switch horses midstream. In other words, you're not supposed to make big life changes in the middle of life. It's risky. And, and that's exactly what dad did. He made a large life change right about the age of 40 and uh, went into the ministry. We sold everything, and, and most of you know the story. Um, I think personally that my dad did that for two reasons. I believe the first reason he did it was for the ministry. We all know he went into the ministry and praise the Lord for that. But I believe the other reason he did it, and possibly the bigger reason he did it, in my opinion, was to put our family on a different track than the one that we were on up until that point. And he wanted to take us off of that path and put us on a better one. And I believe that was the larger motive that my dad had, again, in my opinion. So there was the two reasons, the ministry reason and the family reason, and uh, praise the Lord, um, at this, on this day, all three of us children have a great, blessed family. Uh, Sarah's married this wonderful man back here, and they have, you know, my nieces and nephews, and then Jenny and Rick have a, a beautiful family, and, and uh, by God's grace, he's blessed us with a beautiful family as well, and uh, that would not be the case. If my dad had not put us on that new and that different path. So uh, I thought about this. I, I, genu- I genuinely believe that dad accomplished what he actually set out to do. Now, he did it in a little bit of an inter- interesting way. <laughs> he was Rick Nesbitt, uh, he did it in an interesting way. But he accomplished what he actually set out to do. Um, if I can put it this way, he played the game and he won. Again, he did it in an interesting way. It wasn't always conventional. It wasn't always inside the box, uh, to be sure. But, but, uh, but the, the motive and the, the thing that he was after, he got it. And I truly believe that. I just wanted to publicly uh, thank you for your patience. Thank you for listening. I just want to publicly thank the Lord and my mother and father for their sacrifice and their investment. Thank you
0: both of
6: you for that. If you know Dad, you know he loved his family,
0: and he was so proud in the right way of uh, Rob and Jenny and Sarah, and uh, he also, as a a father-in-law, he accepted us uh, just as one of his own children, if I could speak for... Angie and Rick and myself, we just felt like the kids. And Mom and Dad have been been so gracious and good to us over the years. Thank you for all those things. My mind is flooded with wonderful memories. Let's take our hymnal again. Let's turn to number 417. <clears throat> it is well. You know, Dad's okay. I'm so thankful that we know that purgatory is not a Bible doctrine. Uh, You know, dad's in heaven. And so it's well with him. And even though we are struggling through this time, it's well with us too. Because we have the same God. Number 417.
1: soul It is well It is well with my soul
0: Amen. Isn't that a blessing? And our final song, number 805. We sing this song a lot at our church and Wonderful memory. We'll sing the first stanza, the third stanza. If you're able, if you're not able, that's fine. But if you're able, let's stand as we sing this song. And let's sing it like we're going to see him. We're literally talking about a man right now who is looking on the face of Jesus. As soon as dad passed, we got the phone call for mom. I hadn't been home but a few hours, we got the phone call from Mom that Dad had passed, and Sarah began crying immediately, and she said, Dad's looking at Jesus. And think about that. She said, the mysteries of heaven are not a mystery anymore. Isn't that a blessing? So I'm going to write a sermon on that. My wife does write my sermons. She's, she's a good lady. But let's sing this. Because he lives, we'll sing the first and the last. Number (laughs) 805.
1: God sent His Son on that last and then one day
0: seated at this time some of the family members have a special song this is dad's favorite song i know who holds tomorrow i yeah. yeah. Passage of scripture. I'm going to give a little bit of scripture and some thoughts about heaven and dad as we finish up this service. John chapter 14. John chapter 14, I want to read these famous verses for you. The Word of God says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God? Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest. And how can we know the way? And Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Let's pray. Lord, as we take these final moments. I pray that you'd comfort hearts. Give me the words to say as if you were standing here. Lord, we thank you for heaven. I don't think we praise you enough for it. So minister to those who are born again, save those who were lost, and glorify yourself through these moments. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let not your heart be troubled. What beautiful words. Let not your heart be troubled. Let's say it together, shall we? Let not your heart be troubled. What are those beautiful words? Countless souls have been comforted by these simple words since Christ spoke them to his disciples all these years ago. These words bring comfort in times of loss. These words offer clarity in moments of confusion. They give strength to the weak. They impart joy in the midst of grief. Let not your heart be troubled. Have you ever wondered why our Lord Jesus said those words that day? We feel the comfort of them. We've quoted them and used them and ran to them. But have you ever thought about why did Jesus say those words? What was going on in the the context, the situations of, of the time where Jesus summoned these eternal and inspired words? Let not your heart be troubled. We won't take time to look at chapter 13, but... If you were to go back and look at chapter 13, you'd find four reasons why Christ spoke this word. The first is Christ revealed that one of the disciples would betray Him. This was unthinkable. They had all basically spent three years with Him, eating almost every meal, sleeping in the same places, hearing His words, following the Son of God in awe of who He was and what He could do and the promises He was making. They heard with their own ears the very power of God as the living Word of God spoke the words of God with the limitless power of the Holy Spirit. They saw Him heal. They saw Him raise the dead. They were there with Him. They had a front row seat to the earthly ministry of the Son of God. And yet they're sitting at a meal and he says, one of you is going to betray me. Well, you talk about dropping a bomb in the middle of a a meal that they all were just, they couldn't talk. They begin to ask each other, is it I? Is Is it me? Imagine how disconcerting that would have been. The next in John chapter 13, verses 31 and 32 we find that Jesus explained the time of his glorification was at hand. He literally says, therefore, when he was gone out, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. He was was saying, boys, this is the time we've been talking about. At least three times Christ taught them that he's going to die, be buried, and rise again. If you remember one time, even Peter took him to the side and said, Lord, we're never going to let that happen to you. And Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. He said, you're talking like the devil. The devil's doing everything he can to stop me from fulfilling the gospel plan, and now you're taking his side. Three times, Christ, at least three recorded times, Christ had explained, I came to die and will be buried and rise again. So that sinners can be saved and the doors of heaven can be opened to all who will believe. And they didn't get it. And this time he says, guys, this is the time I've been talking about. We're here. These are the moments. Next he explains in verse 33 that he was going away. He said, little children, yet a little while I am with you and ye shall seek me. And as I said unto the Jews, whither I go, ye cannot come. So now I say to you... He said, gentlemen, I've got to leave for a while and you're not going to be able to come with me yet. They'd left their homes, their jobs, their entire lives were wrapped up in Jesus Christ. And he says, I'm leaving you and you can't come. You see how their world is just getting turned upside down. And then as a final blow, in John chapter 13, verse 38 Jesus answers Peter, who said, I'm going to lay down my life for you. And Jesus says, wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, the cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. He said that to Peter. Peter, who was the most bold, the most courageous, the strongest of them all, the one who stood out, the one who went first, the one who spoke first, the strongest of them, was going to deny Christ So, you imagine in one conversation, the Lord Jesus just took everything that they found security in and safety in and poured it upside down and said, This is your life. But then he said, Let not your heart be troubled. What powerful words! You know what I've found is those words are sufficient for the darkest days of life. Any situation you find yourself in, whether it's the passing of a loved one, the unthinkable catastrophes of life, those words will minister to your heart and soul in places that nothing else can touch. Let not your heart be troubled. And I say to us today as we sit here and we're grieving the loss of our loved one. We know that Rick's with the Lord in heaven. We don't grieve for him, yet we feel the loss. There's a hole in our hearts. There's a hole in our lives. And for the next uh, foreseeable future, we're going to go up to church. And those of you that that would, he would always sit back there. And those of you that he would laugh and joke with. And he would come by your place or you would come by his place. And you're going to go to church and you're going to realize, oh, he's, that's right, he's not here. The first birthday, the first holiday is the first the first everything. His birthday's coming up at the end of the month. It's gonna be the first birthday he's in heaven. My wife was just talking recently, and sometimes if I was busy and, and we needed something from town, Dad would, would run to the store real quick for us and and she was just talking. She said, You know what? Maybe Dad can. And she began to cry. And she's like, That's right, Dad can't. He's with the Lord. There's a hole in our lives. And the way we deal with that is not pretending that it doesn't exist. The way we deal with that is let not your heart be troubled. And in our grief today, we can find the same strength these inspired and preserved words have offered all these years. Let me just give you a couple quick thoughts about this passage and we'll be done. Number one, we see the promise of heaven. John chapter 14, verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. This passage goes into talking about heaven. Can you imagine that there is a real promise of a real place called heaven? Heaven's just as real as Wakefield, Rhode Island. Heaven's just as real as as the building Curtis Corner Baptist Church. There are streets of gold and gates of pearl. There are mansions. There are People there, God is there, we're going to know each other. The Bible's very clear in the book of Matthew that we're going to know each other in heaven. It's a real place, and you don't have to wonder if it's real because Jesus said, I told you it was real. You don't have to wonder if you're going to make it because Jesus told us how we could know for sure we're going there. But imagine the promise of heaven, all the religions who don't have the promise of heaven All the atheists and agnostics and the people without Christ, they they go to a place like this and they don't have the promise of heaven. We have a promise from the lips of the Son of God himself. Heaven is real. And if you trust in me, you can go there. Isn't that a blessing? We see the promise of heaven. Next, we see the person of heaven. John 14, 1, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. You know, what makes heaven heaven? It's not the streets of gold. It's not the mansions. It's not the river of, of water of life and the tree of life. What makes heaven heaven is Jesus. I preached last Sunday morning, Jesus, the jewel of heaven. And out of all the wonderful things you could say about heaven, the greatest thing about heaven is Jesus is going to be there. The disciples knew Christ. They had spent many years with him. But yet we find in verse 8, Philip in a moment of confusion and and doubt says, Lord, show us the Father and it sufficeth us. And Jesus answered in verse 9, Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long with you? And yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? You know, if you spend enough time with someone, you get to know them. It's one reason why you should spend time in the Bible. You should spend time in prayer. You get to know God. Some of you are going to get to heaven and be like, oh, you're not going to know much about him. Boy, what a wonderful opportunity. You know, and those of us, you're here because you knew Rick. To Connie, he was husband of 52 years. To Rob and Jenny and Sarah, he was dad. To Angie and Rick and me, he was a father in law, and more than that, a father. To the grandchildren, he was grandpa. To Dee and Danny and the other siblings, he was brother. To some, he was uncle to others he was pastor, to many here he was a friend, and we'll all miss him dearly. In many ways I was closer to dad than I was my own father for the last 20 years. He taught me a lot over the years, we had a lot of laughs, but you know you spend time with people and you get to know them, and dad had a lot of opinions, and he had uh, A unique way of doing things. We would often laugh and joke about just how different we were in some ways. I remember Dad was a punctual man. My internal clock is broken. Now, Our church people know this, and they love me anyway. My family knows this. Matter of fact, they they say something. There's something called Chapman time. I'm not exactly sure what that means, but I think it defies the laws of space and time as we know them. My internal clock's broken. I could stand out there and talk to you before church. It will be 10.05 on Sunday morning. We're supposed to start at 10. And someone will come to me kindly and say, hey, pastor, it's 10.05. I'm like, oh, thanks. I would have stood there talking for another 20 minutes. My internal clock is broken. Dad's internal clock he took great pride in. And my wife got that from him. We used to play a game where any time during the day I'd say, how long has it been since you looked at a clock? I don't know, three or four hours. What time is it? And she would get it within like two minutes. And Dad was that way. He was a very punctual man. He felt time in his bones. And like Jenny said, you get to church early. You know, going out to pastor school or a conference, Sarah tells stories of them having to get up at 3.30 in the morning to get ready to get to a conference that would start at 8 o'clock, you know. Uh, It was always early for church. And he may or may not at some points have left family members behind who were not ready. (laughs) Uh, I remember one time we used to have this conversation. I was out visiting back when he still lived in Indiana, and he's getting ready for work. He's walking out the door, works five minutes down the road. He's leaving an hour early. He said, I'm going to work. I said, Dad, why are you leaving so early? He said, well, I'm going to leave early in case I have a flat tire. So I said, Dad, you could leave in 30 minutes and still leave early in case you had a flat tire. He's like, no. He said, I'm going to leave early. So I started doing the math with him. I'm like, Dad, you do this every day. Yep, that's five hours a week. That's 30 hours a month. How many hours a year? I said, "How long have you been doing this?" He's like, "Oh, thirty years." So I'm doing the math with you. I'm like, "Dad, you've wasted thousands of hours," you know. And uh, I said, "I'd just rather be late once," you know. And he said, "Nope, I'd rather not be late." And then one time, one time he got a flat tire on the way to work, and he wasn't late. And he said, "See, Paul, it was all worth it." <laughs> I, was, I was like, "No, it wasn't all worth it. I'd rather just be late." And, uh, he loved to laugh. He had his sayings that, you know, like Brother Ken mentioned, he'd hand out a bulletin. Can you read? You know, that was kind of his one-liner. Anytime you'd go out to, to eat, he would say to the waitress would come up or the waiter. He'd say, are you a good cook? And sometimes they'd be like, uh, sir, I don't cook the food, you know. And other times they'd be like, well, yes, I am, you know. And he would often ask people, are you married yet? You know, that was just one of his standard lines. Are you married yet? He used to tell me, Paul, getting old is not for sissies. And uh, he'd say the only thing worse than getting old is not getting old at all. But he loved to laugh. He was a man of rhythm and rituals. I remember one time I was talking to him. It was about breakfast time, and I was downstairs for a minute. I said, Dad, I'm going to go upstairs. I said, I'm going to eat breakfast. He said, what are you going to eat? I said, I don't know. I haven't decided yet. I said, I'm not sure what I'm going to eat for breakfast. He said, Paul, he looked at me very seriously. He said, Paul, I've eaten the same breakfast for 40 years. (laughs) And at first I thought he was joking. I'm like, "What? You know this sounds that, that sounds like torture for me. Like like you're in some gulag in Russia, you know, like for And he said 40 years. He said I've eaten the same breakfast. And I I was trying to compute. And I said, "Dad, I said I don't think I could live that way." He said, "Well, I'm not wondering what I'm having for breakfast this morning." Touche. <laughs> you know? Uh, he, he always wanted to eat at 8, noon, and 5, whether he was hungry or not. 8, noon, and 5. He'd say, Paul, I don't eat when I'm hungry. I eat when it's time. And I'd say, well, that sounds terrible, you know. And uh, more than once, he would be standing by the stove at 4.30, wondering what was going to be for dinner in 30 minutes. And then my poor children, he ruined them because they literally thought everybody ate dinner at 5. And I would tell them, i said, Dad, nobody in the world eats dinner at 5 p.m. but you. I said, "Every a lot of people still at work, you know. It's still in, in the summer. it still like feels like the afternoon," and my kids are like, "Dad, it's it's five. What are we eating?" And uh, then he moved dinner to four thirty, which really made my mind go, you know. And uh, he was a man of rhythm and ritual. He used to drink his coffee, and he would only drink it when it was boiling hot. So he would get it boiling hot, and he would buy the cheapest instant coffee you can imagine. And he would pour it in there and he'd pour boiling water on it and he could only drink it for minutes before it got too cold. And if you were literally, if he had poured a cup of coffee and you asked him a question and he had to answer it, he would walk over to the sink, pour out his coffee and make a new cup. Well, he could only drink half a cup at a time because it wasn't hot enough. So he would leave the kettle boiling on the stove and he would stick a a fork or a spoon in it so that it wouldn't whistle. And I'd go down there and he's drinking a cup of coffee and he's still got the kettle over there. I said, Dad, what's, what's going on with the kettle? He said, well, I'm just getting the water hot. And I said, you know, Dad, it only gets so hot. You know, after it reaches 212, it's kind of not water anymore. It's, it's steam. And uh, we had a lot of jokes about that. I used to tease him because I'd say, you, you burned your taste buds off. You can't even know what coffee tastes like anymore. He tasted it. so. I'll finally say that Dad loved his family. He wasn't always the best at putting words to his feelings. But he showed his love by his actions. I remember when I told him that I went to ask him if I could marry his daughter, I was scared to death. And uh, I answered the phone. I think he knew it was coming. So I called him and he answered the phone. I, I get it out, and it's just silence. It's like I'm wondering if I have the privilege of having your daughter's hand in marriage. And silence, and he let it hang there uncomfortably long, just so I would squirm. And then all of a sudden, he takes a big sigh. He goes, "Oh, I'm so glad you asked. I'm tired of paying for." (laughs) And that that was his answer, and uh, his way to break the ice. And he said, "We'd be honored." At the wedding, he wanted to do the wedding, and and uh, he wept through our whole wedding. You know, Sarah and I are there getting getting married, and. And he just cried through the whole thing. And it came time where he said, you may kiss the bride. And so Sarah and I's first kiss was at the wedding altar. So I'd been waiting for a while. And uh, I put my hands lovingly on her cheeks. And I went in and very gingerly gave her the smooch of a lifetime. And all of a sudden, he's like, OK, that's enough. <laughs> in the middle of our wedding, he's like, OK, that's enough. And uh, we went to the reception and after the reception was over, Sarah and I had gotten in the vehicle and we're driving away. And I look in the rearview mirror, and Dad is sitting on the steps in front of the house in Maine, crying. You see his, his shoulders heaving, and he put his, hand, his head in his hands, and he was crying. I looked at Sarah. I said, should we go back? And she goes, he'll be all right, <laughs> as, we, as we drove off. But um, he was a good man. And we're going to miss him a lot. As we finish, we think about heaven. We see the promise of heaven, the person of heaven. We see the place of heaven. Mansions, verse 3, in my Father's house are many mansions. A new heaven and a new earth, Revelation 21.1. A holy city, verse 2. An eternal relationship with God, Revelation 21.3. No more sorrow or suffering. God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain. For the former things are passed away. Heaven's a beautiful place, isn't it? Amen. And that's where that is. Let me say lastly, the path to heaven. We find in John 14, Jesus says in verse 4, And whither I go, you know, and the way you know. In verse 13, he said, You can't go with me yet. But in verse, chapter 14, verse 4, he says, I'm leaving, and and you know where I'm going, and you know how to get there. And Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going, and how do we get there? And Jesus reminded him, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. I believe if Dad were here today, he would tell you the same gospel that he believed all those years ago when he was just a young married man. Everybody's a sinner. And because of our sin, we can't go to heaven. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And if you'll put your faith in Jesus today, accepting Christ as the Son of God, believing in the work he accomplished, and by faith accept him as your personal Savior, you can be born again and have the same assurance that you're going to heaven That we have in knowing where Dad is today. Let not your heart be troubled. Why? Let not your heart be troubled for the promise of heaven. Let not your heart be troubled if you believe in God, you believe also in me. Let not your heart be troubled in my Father's house or many mansions. Let not your heart be troubled. I go to prepare a place for you. Let not your heart be troubled. Whither I go you know and the way you know. Let not your heart be troubled. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Would you take just a moment and in your heart would you let those words sink in let not your heart be troubled. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. If you're here this, this afternoon or watching online and you know that you're a Christian, you know you're going to heaven, boy, would you take a moment and just thank God? Would you thank God for the gospel plan? Would you thank Jesus for dying on the cross, paying our price so that we could know for sure we're going to heaven? If you're born again, if you've trusted Jesus, you're going to see Rick again one day. But I wonder if you're here and you've not trusted Jesus as your Savior, you're not sure if you're going to go to heaven. Boy, today would be a wonderful day to be saved. Even now. Even now you could tell God... You know you're a sinner you can't go to heaven without him and put your faith in him as God's looking on from heaven and those that are saved are thanking God for their eternal destination being settled is there anyone here that would say preacher I'm just not sure I'm going to heaven but I would like to know would you pray for me I wouldn't embarrass you or call you out. Would you say, preacher, would you pray for me? I'd like to know I'm going to heaven. I'd like to see Rick again. Is there anybody here like that? Would you just lift your hand? Let me pray for you. If that's you, as much as you know how, would you right now in your heart claim Jesus Christ as your Savior, believing in all your heart Ask Jesus to save you, and he'll do it. By the admission of the people in the room, and I expect it as much. This is a large crowd of born-again people. We can take comfort knowing that we're going to see that again. Father, we're grateful for the opportunity to comfort one another together in this time. I pray the word of God would comfort us. The Holy Spirit of God would do his work. Thank you for the remembrances. Thank you for the time that we've spent. And I pray in the mighty name of Jesus that as we leave this place, you would send your comforter with us. And I know he lives within all those who are born again, Lord, but I mean in a real tangible way. That the family would be cocooned in comfort and peace. That you'd help us to be sensitive of those who are struggling and be there for them and love on them and the days to come, and Lord, that as Rick did his, his adult life, that you'd help us to take the message of Christ far and wide and tell others about the Savior. And Lord, whether you come in the rapture, <clears throat> even so come, or we go through the natural process, we're glad that through faith in Christ, we have the assurance that we're going to heaven, we'll be there again someday. I pray you dismiss us with your provision, your protection, bless the reception to follow. Thank you for everybody that came and traveled. I pray you'd give them safety on the way. And please, please, please comfort mom. And the family, especially Sarah, can't be here today. We trust you to do so. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We invite everybody to come over to the Fellowship Hall. Uh, There is a dessert reception and some food and and drinks over there. So here's what we're going to do in just a moment. The folks from Avery Storty Funeral Home will come up and dismiss us. They have done a great job, and we sure do appreciate them. They're going to dismiss everybody but the family into the Fellowship Hall, and then the family can have a few extra minutes with Dad before... uh, We close that part of the service, and so please come.